This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another Mike Missanelli Podcast spot, uh, sponsored by the great people at, at Bet Rivers Podcast episode number 49. I cannot believe it. We're doing it on Thursday, February 3rd as we walk it up to the Super Bowl. Eagles against the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> Man, the irony in this is just uh, you can cut it with a knife. And we had to bring in a special guest for this particular show. He, of course, is uh, the Eagles. And let's face it, the great number 36. He was, of course, in the starting lineup in 2004 when they played that Super Bowl. He was a regular guest with me on my old radio show. He, of course, is the great Brian Westbrook. Hello, B. West. Mikey, Miss, it is an honor to be back on your show. Show number 49. Uh, that's pretty awesome, brother. Uh, you've been doing a great job. Yeah, and I believe we did, like, podcast number three. You were one of our first guests. You're the, you're the only... Repeat guests on the podcast. So we've had a lot of different guests on, but we had to go back to the best here as we talk about this game, man. And, uh, you know, so let, let's get right into it. I, You know, it, it's hard for me to believe that we're at this point. And, you know, we talked most of the year about this. Uh, all of a sudden, the Eagles were good enough to get to the Super Bowl. Now, I don't think anybody really saw that uh, when this season began, but it was evident by the middle of the season, they were the best team in the NFC, and they're pretty good. And here they are in the Super Bowl. So, so uh, put that in perspective for me on what the, the evolution of this team for the season and where they are now. Well, you know, it, I, I'm kind of sharing your feeling that it's shocking that they're here. And you, you also got to believe this. They were 4-11-1 just two years ago. They were 9-8 last year. Then you pop up and win 14 games this year. And, you know, a couple years ago, they fired their coach. This type of evolution, this type of turnaround just doesn't happen in the NFL this quickly. The other thing that does not happen as quickly in the NFL is a quarterback goes from the 21st uh, passer, you talk about in passing yards last year, to a quarterback this year that's in the race for MVP. It just doesn't happen that quickly. And for the Eagles, it has happened almost overnight. And so when you talk about evolution of the team, that's on both sides of the ball. That's on the offense. You add A.J. Brown. You get Devontae Smith. A.J. Brown is a number one receiver. They get him in, in free agency through a trade. They, they have Devontae Smith over 1,000 yards in his second, second season as a receiver in the NFL. That's absolutely amazing. That just doesn't happen very often. You look at that offensive line. They continue to just be good. And, and we're talking about older players. We're talking about Lane Johnson. He is an older player now, even though he's been good his entire career. He is an older player. Of course, Jason Kelsey older player it's just hard to imagine that they're still one of the best offensive lines in the league Miles Sanders has the best year best season uh, that he's ever had in his career over 1200 yards rushing a bunch of touchdowns again it's just a combination of things that normally don't happen Dallas Goddard obviously injured a little bit there but he's still a big time threat uh, to make things happen on the offensive side of the ball and of course the biggest thing Jalen Hurts he's more accurate He's making much better decisions. He understands defenses better. He understands the offense better. Uh, I, was, I was looking at a stat and reading kind of some of the quotes. This is the first time since his 
uh, last year in high school that he has had the same offensive coordinator two years in a row. That's kind of amazing. But his ability to overcome all of that throughout his college career and, and especially this year, just be a better version of himself, not throw the ball to the other team, not turn the ball over very many times has been amazing. And then I look at the defense. What Howie Roseman has been able to do on the defensive side of the ball through free agency, through trades, through just getting guys over there. Hassan Reddick getting off the edge has been amazing. We saw his effect in the last game, the NFC Championship game. The guys in the middle continue to do their thing. We look at uh, Kazir White. He, he's just doing his thing. T.J. Edwards has gotten better. Then you look at the guys on the outside in the back end, Bradbury and Slay. Um, it's just hard to beat this football team and to see the transformation over a short period of time, a good mix of young and old players. It's been a, a, a joy to watch this and really a beauty of, of a job by Howie Roseman. Uh, listen, you played on a great team and you you watched the team go to the Super Bowl in 2017. Uh, and, after, you know, taking into consideration what you just said, because I've, I, I've said this is the most complete team they've ever had. And, they, you know, the, the gaps that they had, they filled in. And you're right. You just mentioned these skill players on offense and how complete their offensive line is. But the whole thing has to revolve around the talents of a quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback take advantage of these kind of weapons and this kind of support, you really don't have anything. And so, yes, Jalen Hurts makes the whole thing revolve but how does it happen like that where he goes from question mark to mvp candidate it's i it's something probably i've never seen in cover sports for a long time how you go from really people doubting you to just being a complete player in a year mike this time last year the big question is are we going to draft a quarterback are we going to actually draft a quarterback or are we going to give Jalen an opportunity to play this thing out and see where things fit um and this is what I know from Jalen Hurts. And I was a guy that questioned. I didn't know that he would be able to make this jump. I knew that he was going to work hard. I knew that. I knew that he's a great leader. I knew that he was going to do everything in his power to be able to be a, bit, a better player. The thing that you don't have any control of, the thing that we don't know is can he throw and be more accurate? Can he have a stronger arm? Can he throw the deep ball? Can he find people open and understand defenses better? We don't know that until we actually see him. This is what they did, though. They said, okay, let's say he struggles with some of his accuracy. We're going to go get a receiver that can go get the ball, A.J. Brown, that you don't have to, to put the ball right on his body. You just have to put it around him. We're going to go get a guy that's a deep threat, A.J. Brown, that can go up over top of some of these guys on the on the back end of the defense. And when you think about it, some of the balls, you see some of the touchdowns that they threw at the link. I mean, there's, these guys are covered. If to both A.J. and Devontae, these guys are covered. These receivers are making plays. Devontae Smith, same type of thing. These guys are going up and making plays. And so as much as I want to say that Jalen has done a great job, and, and I don't get me wrong, he has. These receivers have made big-time plays for him. He's made great plays making decisions. He's been in rhythm throwing the football. He's got the ball out of his hands. That's what you want from a quarterback. That's not what we saw from a quarterback position last year. So we talk about improvement. We've seen him get better on every aspect of his game. And because of that, he's in the conversation for MVP. Uh, let's also look at the coaching staff here, Brian, because uh, Sirianni comes here and he had a reputation of being, hey, we, we passed the football. I mean, that, that that's the kind of offense that, that works in the NFL. Uh, so they really did two things. And it started with last year when they realized that that really wasn't going to work with that type of team. So at two and five, they run, they start running the football and they turn the whole season around. And this year they come in and they go, okay, this is what he can do well. And what he can do well is read option, RPO, all that thing. So they tailored the offense around his strengths, which you don't see a lot of coaching staffs do. What's your what's your analysis of that? Well, he's smart. We're talking about Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen. They're smart. They know where their, their bread is buttered. And that starts with the offensive line. I mean, some of the advantages they have because they're playing RPO football is just amazing. It, when I look at it from a running back perspective, I'm looking at the defense and I'm saying, okay, there are five guys in the box. And really there are six, but really it's a guy and a half that has to think about Jalen Hurts running the football. So now it's four and a half, five guys in the box. That makes it easier for me, the running back, Miles Sanders, and much easier for the quarterback to make a decision to either keep the ball or, or run the football. When you talk about the RPO, you fake the run. Now that you have this running game that's just dominant, now the the the, the linebackers are stepping stepping up, 
And I just can't, I can't even count the amount of times that Jalen Hurts is throwing easy, quick slants to A.J. Brown. I'm talking about passes that I believe that right now today I can make because these guys are wide open because the offense has been designed to make these receivers wide open. And Jalen Hurts are taking, he's taking these quick passes, the good decision passes, and, and hitting A.J. Brown in stride. And now he's able to get that yards after the catch. The other thing that you see, same type of action, RPO, Dallas Goddard, 10 and out, basically, catching a ball on the sideline. These are just, I mean, I, I can't sit here and tell you that these are just the 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 uh, these great play calls. They're taking advantage of what the defense is giving, uh, giving them. Jalen Hurts has been accurate with the football, and it's almost like easy football. It's, it's, it's weird to think because I came from a day where Andy Reid was making up plays. He's drawing up and scheming ways to get guys open. And then we see this brand of football, and we're like, hold on. You fake the ball to the back. You, you suck everybody up, and you're just hitting wide-open receivers. And it's, it's almost – it's hard to believe, but this offense has been very, uh, you know, just, just good at moving the football. And, you know, Mike, when I talk about this offense, I say two things. They're able to be quick strike, and they're able to be methodical, move the ball down the field in the run game, whether that's the quarterback or the running back. And that's just a hard team to match up with from the, from the defensive perspective. Uh, they're, you know, to that note, they're always a plus one because of the way they're playing. That they, 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 when you say all these guys are open, they they always seem to have a plus one because you know the safety is twenty yards back. He's the guy that has to account for Jalen Hurry. He can't get there in time. Yep. So whatever transpires in between that, there's always going to be a plus one, which I think is is genius. Now there's a there's a notion that that type of football can't really work in, in the NFL. I think that. The Eagles are showing that it's it might be the only way to play these days, that, that you have that kind of quarterback who can outnumber what these tricky defenses, these fast defenses can do. Uh, has the game evolved to the point where you almost need a Jalen Hurts? Well, I think what it has evolved is a quarterback's ability to not get hit, right? So you don't want to run this offense because I don't want to run my quarterback. Our quarterback's too valuable to us, and if I run him, He's going to get hit. He's going to get injured. He's not going to be able to play. And that's why I want to drop back and protect him in the pocket. Jalen Hurts has shown us that he can get out of bounds. He can slide. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not running a 4-2. But he may, quite honestly, he doesn't look like overly fast to me. But he he, he's just, he runs. And he's, he's open. He makes people miss in the open field. And he makes decisions, when it, great decisions when it comes down to being contacted. He slides. He gets out of bounds. He does all the things that you want a smart quarterback to do. And so now he's not taking the big hits. So as you say, hey, I don't want this RPO offense, I'm really saying I don't want my quarterback to ever get hit. And Jalen Hurst is just not taking a lot of big hits throughout the season. And that's been impressive as well. All right. He did, though, uh, injure the shoulder. And so if there's ever a concern, um, like last week, he wasn't spectacular. He didn't need to be spectacular. It was, you know, a game that they they got the golden ticket early, to, to be to be honest, although they did run the ball and they, and they did beat up a really good defense. Uh, but he looked like he, he didn't have the, the zing that he had in the middle, middle of the season. He was kind of lofting the ball uh, to try to get it there instead of, you know, hitting it on a line. Did that concern you at all when you were watching him throw last week? I did see the missing of that zip on some of those balls. I thought. I also thought in the run game, he just he didn't look like himself either, to be honest with you. But, I, but I, this is what I believe. That two-week period between the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl is a lifetime for players. It's a lifetime for you to get your body back. And there's something about walking into a stadium at 65% during the regular season and just getting into game time, and now I feel 95%. Now, just imagine walking into a stadium for the Super Bowl, and I'm 75%. Let's just say he's 75%. By the time you get out there for warm-ups, you're 110%. So I'm not worried about the injury factor at all for Jalen Hurts. He's been tough. He's been resilient. And I think that two-week period is going to help him help him an awful lot. All right, let's look at the matchup. We're talking to the great Brian Westbrook, of course. Uh, and, uh, of course, the, the, the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, was Brian's head coach for a really long time. I know you have a great respect for Andy Reid. And what, frankly, what he's done out there has been remarkable. I mean, he, he goes into the Hall of Fame as a coach. There's no question about it. Uh, as many uh, title games as he's been in, it, it's just uh, phenomenal. So when you look at this matchup, the Eagles are favored. And they were they start at two and a half, they're down to one and a half. 
how do you see this game playing out? The Chiefs have that magic, man. Yeah. And and they're you know against the great they're still going to be able to score. I don't know how they do it, but the kid does it. So how does this game play out in your head? Well, I, I, let's start on the defensive side for the Eagles. The big question, when you play against dominant quarterbacks, Brady, Manning, Mahomes, if you don't touch him, if you don't get around him, you lose, period. There's no way to get around that. The stats say it. When you look at the games, it says it. it, it it's everything. So how dominant can our defensive line be? How active can they be? If they're not sacking Mahomes, are they getting around him, just affecting some of his throws? Uh, the, the crazy part about Patrick Mahomes is that there, there's, a, there's a feeling that he's just as good on the run as he is in the pocket. So not only do you have to get around him, you got to get him down to the ground. You have to affect him in this way because those defenders that have to play defense on the back end while he's scrambling around, that's just hard to do. So they have to figure out a way to get him down to the ground, keep him contained, and then get him down to the ground. So if you have the ability to do that, that's that that's that New York Giants defense versus Tom Brady. You can you can rush four and you got seven dropping back playing zone or man to man and trying to cover everybody up in their pass routes. If you do that, we're able to to, to get around Mahomes in that way. Then this game takes a, a whole different turn. That means he's going to press a little bit, possible interceptions, things like that. Offensively, all right. So. It- it sounds like you really like the Eagles in this match. Well, I, I like I like our matchup on the defensive side. I really do. I think that we have an advantage there. I think the way that our defensive line has been playing is going to force Kelsey to stay in a little bit longer. He's not going to stay in long, but a little bit longer just to get a chip on the defensive end because we know how Hassan Reddick has been. We see how Josh Sweat has attacked the quarterback. We know what our defensive line, the guys up front, have been. They had pushed the pocket all season long. So I, I think if I'm the quarterback, I'm thinking about the pass rush just a little bit. That That's in favor of us. I, I think that goes our way. Um, uh, all right. Let, let's talk about Andy a little bit because nobody knows him better than you. I mean, uh, to the outside observer like like me, uh, he was maddening at, at some of the time, things that he was stubborn about. And one of them, of course, was he didn't value wide receivers until he really had to value a wide receiver. And, and, and sometimes he didn't run the football enough and, and was maddening that he wouldn't run the football. And then all of a sudden, it, it, the fans would say, run the football, and he would run the football. Uh, and, and he came up short in, in, in several situations. I mean, you, you guys didn't win the big one, although you had a great era of football. But uh, I know you have respect for the guy. And I, I'm curious to know your opinion of what has made him so successful as a head coach. Guys don't last that long and, and, and sustain that kind of success so he must do something right to to get his players to play what is it well I mean listen we go back to his era in Philadelphia when you have Donovan McNabb one of the best quarterbacks in the league at the time top four or five in the league at the time um, certainly the best quarterback in Eagles history you have him and then you transition to go to Kansas City and you have arguably one of the top five quarterbacks in league history already Patrick Mahomes who is just kind of getting going in his career, it makes it a lot easier on a doggone coach. It makes the coach look a lot better. Good players have the, have a way of doing that, right? Um, so that makes it a lot easier. This is what Andy Reid is a specialist at. I, I would kind of put Kyle Shanahan in this same category. He knows how to get fast players the ball in space. You saw it with Tyreek Hill. You saw it with myself. You saw it with different T.O. You saw it with different receivers, Valdez Scantling. I mean, he knows how to create space. For guys. And then he says, okay, now I want you to turn that 10-yard route, that five-yard run, that running back who's just amazing. I want you to turn that into a 20-yard game. I want you to turn that into a 50-yard game. That's what Andy Reid's secret sauce is. I'm going to create two space, but I'm going to have guys that have the ball in their hand, and then they're going to do what they do with the football. That's what's great about Andy Reid. When you talk about a coach, he doesn't overcoach you. He said, this is what you do well. I'm going to let you go do that. However, I'm just going to find you space to go do it. That's what I'm going to do. That's my job. And he does that better than anybody in the business. And when you talk about I, – I'll never forget this. Mike Vick comes home. He, he comes to our team. And I'm, I'm looking at Andy. I'm talking to him one day. He's like, listen, I'm going to show you he – had, he had like a – I don't know, a, this, much, this many cue cards, like the little cue cards, four-by-fours, of plays for Michael Vick. He sat on the beach in the offseason and was just drawing up plays for Michael Vick. That's, what, that's the guy that he is. He's that guy – that plays, you know, PlayStation, whatever the video games are, and just is drawing up play crazy plays. That's who Andy Reid is. And, and then when you add, we talk about in Kansas City, you add one of the best quarterbacks of all time to that. 
Now things look crazy. Now things look like a video game because now you have a quarterback that in addition to getting guys in space that can put the ball wherever he wants to at any time with any arm angle. And now it makes Andy Reid look like the mad genius. Now, there's there's not a simple answer to this, but how does he get guys in space? If you could explain that and not get overly technical, how does he do it? Well, how does he scheme it? Well, I'll tell you this. So everyone knows you're trying to get the ball to Kelsey. So let's just say Kelsey runs straight up the field. They're going to cover him, right? So what you try to do is you get a linebacker looking at something else. You give him eye candy, right? So and I want the safety to see someone doing an end around. So he sees that end around and he widens out two steps. Kelsey is still running up the field, but if that 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 uh, linebacker widens out two steps, that means Kelsey is wide open. I mean, he gives you things like that. He puts guys in motion and makes you think everything is going to the right, and actually the ball is going to the left. He does those types of things that make your eyes. If your eye is lazy and your eyes get a little a little hungry looking at the the bells and whistles of a play, you forget what you're supposed to be doing defensively. And that gap integrity, your rush lanes, your pass drop lanes, it gets a little lax and a little loose. And because he has the ability to put guys in motion like that, now, now those guys are wide open, which in the NFL is a yard, 24 inches, two feet, things like that. If you have that ability to do that, now these guys, Kelsey and, and, and all these other great players that he has on his team, those, those are wide open. Mahomes can stick a, a, a dog on football through the eye of a needle. He can get you, get the ball there, and then now the running catch is ineffective. So that's what makes Andy Reid so special. It's amazing that uh, you are Andy Reid's Tyreek Hill. How many years ago? Yeah, right? th- things are. They, listen, he has he had a yeah, big, man, time, now, Ty- big time. Don't Tyreek. Tyreek would du- would dust hey, you big time. No, in, in I wouldn't, we wouldn't be in a foot race because I was like, listen, we're not even going to do this. I'm not about to get embarrassed out here. The fastest player in the <laughs> league. But this is the amazing thing that I know about Andy Reid. You lose a player like that. We lose T.O., things get a little weird, right? You lose a player like Tyreek Hill, and they just keep figuring it out. Again, that's the Patrick Mahomes effect. That's also the Andy Reid effect. It was just amazing to see. All right, let's go back in time a little bit because I want to go back to 2004. It's not a pleasant memory, but you guys got to the Super Bowl, man. And, and so uh, getting to the Super Bowl, these two weeks that these players are thinking about it right now, it, it, you know, go back in time. Uh, what did these two weeks prior to the game uh, mean to you and, and your fellow players? Uh, uh, what's it like to be in anticipation of a Super Bowl? You know, that first week, so that first off week, it feels great. There's not a lot of pressure not playing a game that week. Uh, not much to worry about. You're kind of going over the plays, going through the motion. Really, you're just trying to get your body healthy enough to be able to play in the game. You've had a long season, you know, with a 17 weeks plus a few playoff games. I mean, it's just been a long year. Um, so you're trying to, you're happy, you're you're good, you're in good spirits, not a lot on your mind because you're not playing and your body's getting healthy. So th- this first week is a great week. You're lining up tickets and appearances and stuff like that. You're trying to handle all the nonsense this week. Then when you talk about next week, right, Super Bowl week leading up to the game, that's when things get a little tight because this is the biggest game. This is the game that you've been waiting for your entire career. This is the game that all season, this is the culmination of all the the two-a-days, all the hard work, all the missed holidays and birthdays and nonsense like that. This is the culmination of that. And so um, things get a little tight. You know, you you start getting a little tight um, and you start thinking about the game. You, thought, you start thinking about the good things, the celebration if we win. You also, quite honestly, are looking at, hey, if we don't win, how does this look? How do we bounce back? So you, you can see both sides of it. And so as you go through that week, you get a little bit tighter. But for me, this is just how I've always been. I'm real tight towards all week long because I want to make sure that I'm doing everything as far as catching the ball and watching the film, the weight room, just to, so that I'm prepared. When Sunday comes, I get loose. I'm like, hey, this is my reward. I I work my butt off to get to this moment, and I get a little bit loose, and I, I let my hair down a little bit. So that's the way I've been. And really throughout that Super Bowl week, that's the way it is. Here's the hard part. When you travel to the Super Bowl, you travel to a different city, you get there early, and usually you have your things that you do every week. Mondays, I go get a massage, a stretch, and I eat at this restaurant. Tuesday, I go hang out. I do this, that, and the other. Wednesday, this, that, and the other. Now you're in a new city. You have no clue what to do. So what did, what did I do? I didn't want to go party. I didn't want to go crazy. You hang out in the hotel, which makes you only think about the game. And so what you do in your head is you start playing the game in your head, which is stressful. The most stressful thing. You're playing the game before the game 
throughout the week, which kind of sucks. But that's what's going to happen to some of these guys as well. So when do you actually get a game plan here on the two weeks of the Super Bowl? Usually, you know, if let's say it's a two weeks, you probably would get it towards the end of that first week. So they're probably getting the game plan right about now, um, uh, this week, you know, today, tomorrow, getting that game plan so the guys that can perfect it. Um, they'll probably give them a couple of days off, get back at it on Monday, you travel, and then you hit it again. You, As a coach, you want to keep things as normal and as regular as possible, right? Because you're already out of your element. You're already in a hotel. You're already meeting in the hotel. You have media day. You have your family right there. You have your friends. All your friends are hitting you up, trying to get tickets and things like that. So as a coach, you're trying to keep things as normal as practice time, practice schedules, things like that as you can. But you're going to get that that those game plans early, excuse me, late that first week, today, tomorrow. Um, you'll get that so you can review, get a little extra time, and then you'll you'll have a normal week next week where you'll hit everything on Wednesday and go through the week. How did how did you handle the media part of this? Because I hey, you're ultra serious ultra serious guy back then. You were ultra yeah. serious player. You weren't a guy that was going to entertain the media, and, and uh, you know like that. And I would think you would have little tolerance for for friends that are bothering you about tickets and stuff like that. Because you're a singularly focused guy. So like, what did you do that week? Well, I had no time for friends. I hung out with my friends one time, and we hung out in a room, and they were like. We don't want to hang out in a room. We want to, we want to party. We want to do fun stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm not partying. I, if, if I made it to this point, I'm going to sacrifice a week of partying, which, again, that's nerve-wracking. That's out of character. That's not what you normally do. You at least go out to eat and hang out, maybe have a drink here and there. But you don't do that. I didn't do that during the Super Bowl week um, because I, was, I wanted to be the best version of Brian Westbrook that I possibly could be. And, and this, is actually, this is actually the interesting thing. If you, you're Tom Brady, you go back to Super Bowl a bunch of times, you kind of get the rhythm. You understand what to do, what not to do, you, what your body can handle and things like that. It's your first time. You don't understand that. And so for a lot of these guys that were on the team last time in 2017 when they went to the Super Bowl, this is old hat for them. This is just another opportunity for them to to do what they do. That's an advantage. I give that advantage to, to, to those guys that have played that game. And so for me – Listen, I got the tickets knocked out the first week. That was out the way. No no worries there. My boys are already in town. My parents are already in town. No worries. Now, we talked about the media. You get media from all over the world. That was a pain in the butt. I mean, listen, I, it's the same questions. Everyone wants to know, uh, what are you going to do to win? How are you going to win? What do you think? Tom Brady, blah. And I'm like, hey, listen, <laughs> my my talking is done on the field. Go watch what I did all season long. If you, if you like that and you think that it's good against this defense, then it's going to work. We're going to get T.O. back. We're going to hopefully get him the ball, probably a little bit too much. And and then we're going to try to win a football game. And that's what we try to do. Yeah, all, and all those media guys walked away from your table going, man, that dude's boring. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> didn't, he, didn't, he didn't give me anything. He said, he said a lot of words, and he said absolutely nothing is probably what they were thinking. Uh, all right, so uh, uh, how did you guys feel when you came out of that locker room? Oh, it's, pretty, you know, it's, it's two weeks of anticipation. You get through the game, playing the whole bit. You're out of your routine, the whole bit. When you guys take that feel and you're playing the big, bad Patriots, were, did you feel that you guys were ready? No, no, we were absolutely ready. I felt We felt ready. We felt prepared. We felt as healthy as we possibly were going to be. I thought we were, we, you know, guys were focused. Guys weren't out drinking and having fun. Guys were locked in. Um, you know, again, this is part of the pomp and circumstance of a game. You go out there normally. You go run out the tunnel. You, you introduce everybody. You go to the sideline, do the national anthem. The game starts, you know. And this Super Bowl is totally different. You go out there. You wait around 10 minutes, the national anthem. Then they sing three other songs. and then And then you're like, hold on, okay. And, and, and now this whole time you're looking around like, I wonder where my parents are. Like it's you, you start to lose focus. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's what's weird. You start seeing the flash of the cameras going around. It's, it's again, in order to play in this game, you have to have supreme focus. And what happened to me just a little bit was not that you lose focus. You start thinking about other stuff because there are so many other things and it's not a normal game. And there's so many other things going on. Uh, but you lock back in when the kickoff it, it happens, and, and you go out there and you play football. Uh, all right. So uh, my producer Darren, you know, you're a great Eagle fan, Darren. So I'm gonna go because uh, I was recalling my mind the starting team that the Eagles put on the field there in 2004. Uh, can you name the entire starting team, Darren? 
Starting team. Let's start with let's start with the offense. Let's start with the backfield. This should be easy, right? <laughs> okay. And you know the, the you know who the quarterback was, right? All right, who was the fullback that appeared? The fullback appeared. Back then they used the fullback a little bit. Who was the fullback? <laughs> no, no. This is a, this is a tough nope. one. Nope. It was Josh. It was Josh Parry. Josh Parry. Right, it was it was Josh Parry. All right, all right. Let's let's go. The offensive line should be easy for you, right? Yeah, I'll put him on a spot now. He's he's choking. All right, it's Trey, Trey Thomas and Runyon are the tackles. It's tough. It's tough for you. Uh, Artis Hicks, Artis Hicks, left guard. Uh, Hank Fraley. What was his nickname, Brian? Well, honey, Honey Buns. Honey Buns was the center. Uh, Jermaine uh, Mayberry uh, is the right Buns, guard. Buns, that's right. Yeah. Buns. Uh, uh, you had Selleck. No. You had T.O. And you had Pinks. T- Pinks was the other starting wideout, uh, I believe, in that game. Um, <laughs> my dog's trying to give me the answers right now. Uh, so there's offensively. There you go. That's, that's right. the so entire de- Defensively, you got Curse, Burgess, Corey Simon, Darwin Walker are the tackles. Darwin Walker, my neighbor here All in right. Marlton. Keith Adams. <laughs> Trotter, the other linebacker went to Michigan and had a TV show for a while. Dahani Jones. And, of course, the, the, the legendary defensive backfield with Lito and Sheldon at the corners, Michael Lewis and Brian Dawkins. The kicker was Akers, but who was the punter? I don't know. My dog seems to know, though. Dirk Johnson. <laughs> Dirk, Dirk, Dirk Johnson. Man, you failed that test. That's embarrassing, man. That's terrible. All right. Now, Brian, in, in 2004, I mean, that was the year you start really coming in your own. You had uh, 812 yards rushing. You caught 73 balls for 703 that year. Was that the year you felt like an NFL player? You know, I think that was the second year. I think my first year, I, I kind of, let's say 2003, I kind of, things started working out. I think that's when I had the punt return. It's the, things started clicking. 2004 was a year where things slowed down for me. I think as a player, as you start to understand the defense a little bit better, understand the offense and your position in that offense, things slowed down. And things just slowed down for me. I made the Pro Bowl that year. Um, and I was just able to see how I can fit in pieces of this ball game. We understood what T.O. was going to bring. We understood how defense was going to be affected by him. But then we also understood how the run game was going to be affected. And then we, we went through a stretch right there at the end of the season in the playoffs where T.O. wasn't available, right? So we had to change everything. And that was a time where we ran the ball much more. Uh, Freddie Mitchell played a little bit more wide out. He was effective in certain games, especially that playoff game against Minnesota. And we were able to find a way to win um, by, by running the ball a little bit. And so that it was it was certainly good uh, for that to happen. Uh, all right. So uh, I'm glad you brought up T.O. because that's where I'm going next with it. Um T.O. arrives uh, with a lot of fanfare. And, uh, you know, finally it was like, oh, my God, they went out and they actually got a wide receiver. They could, couldn't believe it. So what what was the vibe when T.O. joins the team, that camp? Well, listen, we, we knew we were already a good team. Uh, you know, we felt the same thing that most of the fans felt, that we needed a dominant receiver. We were close as a team. We were close, one of the best defenses in the league. Offensively, we were very good, but we never had that number one. Todd Pinkston was good. But we never had that number one. We didn't have that what I would equate to A.J. Brown this year, right? Um, we go get T.O., that changes. That changes how a defense plays against you. That changes your mindset. I mean, just think, just think about it. You walk on the field, and I'm walking next to Trey Thomas, John Runyon, Donovan McDab, uh, T.O., and Pink. I mean, it changes the way you feel about a game. And that's the confidence that you need as a player. And so it was, it was, a, it was just a heck of a thing. And then, listen – we go out and play early on in that season, and we were dominating teams. Out of those, I don't we won 13 games or so. Out of half of those games, we didn't play in the third and fourth quarter. I mean, we were that explosive offensively where we weren't playing in the third, end of the third, and into the fourth quarter. That's how explosive we were offensively. And so when you walk on the field and you're saying all those guys around, uh, and Andy was at, hitting this stride play-calling-wise, it was, it was hard to beat us. We were a very confident group. Crew. If I can add something here, if you remember, guys, the first, like, eight games of that season, I know you remember, Brian, like, Vegas couldn't catch up to the lines on you guys. Like, every week it was an increased margin of victory, unlike we had seen in a long time, that first two months of the season. 
It was just blowing the doors off everybody. We felt like one of the highest scoring teams in the league that year. That's what we were. We, we were putting up points that, you know, in Philadelphia had never been seen, but that's because we had explosion on the outside. You add T.O., that changes, this changes everything. Defense weren't able to keep up with that. Well, how do you, how did you uh, and the team receive, like, okay, you had heard all this stuff about him. I mean, maybe a couple guys knew him, but he came with, you know, like an interesting aura. Uh, so I'm curious, like, like how you guys felt about the we, we, the these uh, the, the try to 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 get to know him, and he comes on. Like, what's the perception? Are you a little uh, uh, apprehensive about it, or like, how does it work when he a guy like that with so much, you know, he had some baggage comes to your squad? Well, I think you know, f- from my perspective, I wanted to get to know T. You know, we became very good friends. Um, I wanted to get to know him. I wanted to see wh- what made him special. Right. I, I personally, selfishly, I wanted to see what he was doing on this level that made him, quite honestly, a Hall of Famer, even at that point. That's what I was hungry for. I wanted to be his friend and things like that. But I wanted to know why he was what, what he did that made him so special. And I saw that. I, I was telling this story earlier today. He, T would catch the ball, whether we were not 20, we had 80 yards to the end zone or whether we were you know, on the 20, we had 20 yards ago. He would catch the ball and he would run all the way to the end zone. He practiced excellence every single day. And eventually, as guys began to see that, as a team, we began doing that. We began all of us running to the end zone, practicing excellence, practicing scoring. That makes a difference. It just does. It makes a difference. It it allows you to think about, all right, we're going to score a touchdown on every play. Now, it also extends practice another 15 to 30 minutes, which we didn't like either, but you know, it, it, it that confidence that he had and what he was able to do, guys weren't intrigued by T.O. He wasn't, like, warm and fuzzy like that. He was good to guys. Don't get me wrong. He was cool with everyone. But he also wasn't, like, the, one of the regular guys. He was he was a star. T.O. was an absolute bona fide star. He needed a bodyguard. Nobody in Philly, even Donovan rarely needed a bodyguard, right? He was a, he was a rock star. He was known all over the place. It was the T.O. show. So, you know, we're, we're a little bit like, okay, what are we going to get? But we also were welcomed in by T. I appreciate everything that he did for my career. I mean, he, he gave me advice all the time. Um, and, and I just I appreciate who he was as a, as a person. Uh, all right. So uh, I, I don't want to relive the, the disappointment of the game, but you get the touchdown pass that ties the game and you're going into the fourth quarter. And, and people here are feeling pretty good about your chances at that point. Relive the fourth quarter for me. What, what, what went down? Well, I mean, we're right in the game. We're right where we needed to be. Um, you know, and, and it was it's kind of a blur at this point. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost 20 years ago, so it's kind of a blur. But, you know, we were right where we needed to be. I think we handled their best punch. We took all that 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 they were going to give us. You know, we had turned the ball over a couple times already, and that, that was a big issue for us. If we turn the ball over, we can't compete. We know that. We see that in every, in every game throughout the season. And so um, we had turned the ball over. We made a couple mistakes, but we were still in the game. And it almost felt like we just didn't have enough. We just didn't have enough. And, you know, if I had to be completely honest, I think we had a way of playing the game during the playoffs without T.O., right? And we completely got away from that way because T.O. came back. T.O. is an explosive player. Yeah, he was got hurt game 15, missed the two playoff games that you won, comes back with a plate in his leg to play, uh, takes uh, catches nine balls in that game. So, But, but it, you're saying it changed the way you were rolling? Yeah, I think the way that we were rolling again, T.O. came back and had an awesome game. Don't don't get me wrong, but when when we're playing in the playoffs, we're saying, okay, the offense runs through Westbrook, right? Because we're going to run the ball, we're going to allow McNabb to do what he does, but we're going to we're going to try to run the football. We're going to make the defense respect us. Then they suck him up, and then we throw. We get to the championship game, the Super Bowl, and we were we were a pass first offense, so it just changes. And the other way, I mean, you also got to know. The way that the Patriots played, the Patriots played their defense, they would said, "Listen, the one thing we're going to do, and I've been told this by many players on the Patriots, we're going to stop Westbrook. We know T.O. is going to do his thing, but we're going to try to stop Westbrook. So we're going to put as many guys around the line of scrimmage and not allow him to get going. And because of that, Andy was a little bit pass happy, wanted to get T.O. involved. Didn't know, I would assume, how long T.O. would be able to go coming off that injury. So you wanted to get him involved uh, quickly, which he did. And T.O. was explosive and he was special, but." We didn't have that presence where we were physical up front. And that starts with the run game. And because of that, I mean, you know, I think that factored into some of how the game played out. 
uh, losing the game is disappointing, but you guys were really good, and you had cultivated a, a, a really good uh, era of football. And I assume, uh, although that was disappointed, I, I, I disappointing. I, I assumed you thought you guys were capable of getting back there. Is is that like how did you perceive the loss? Well, I, I felt that you know we lost, but we were close, right? I mean, you, when you lose and you had we had two two or three turnovers, you, you have to say to yourself. All right, we had a chance on one of those turnovers to score a touchdown. That changed the game, right? Pass to me, a Rodney Harrison picks it off in the in, in the end zone. So that changed the game. In your mind, you're saying, okay, we got everybody back. We'll, we know exactly what we need to do. We'll go through the league, and then we'll get to the playoffs. We'll run through the playoffs, and now we don't make some of those mistakes. We, we win the Super Bowl. That has to be your thought. We, you know, in, in sports, normally you have a nucleus of guys that you say, okay, as long as we had these guys here, you got a chance to win. And I was hoping that was Dawkins and Trotter and Curse and on the offensive side, McNabb, myself, T.O., you know, obviously the offensive linemen. And you just think you got a chance. Everyone's coming back. And through that offseason, things kind of imploded just a little bit on us and didn't allow that to happen. But you had to think that that was the case. Yeah, it's a shame when you when you think about it how it blew apart uh, like yeah. that. Uh, but uh, you know what's interesting about you is that you, you're a friend to everybody. It's one of the things I respect about you. And uh, Donovan, you you always been a big Donovan supporter, friend of Donovan. But you're also a friend of Freddie Mitchell's, and and he kind of like had some things to say about Donovan. And you're kind of in the middle of that. I, I'm just curious because I saw Freddie the other night. He was at the Sixers Nets game. Like he's he's always around, and you guys are still close. Um, how did you? Um, I don't know, handle that kind of a situation where, where one guy doesn't like the other guy, but you like them both. Well, you know, I, I was one of those guys. I mean, you got to remember, we got 53 guys on the team that come from all aspects of life, all different types of personality. And I'm just like, I'll accept you however you are, right? You're a good dude. As long as you're a good dude to me, then, then that's all that matters, right? Um, and because of that, you know, you see all different types of personality. I see the fun. And, and, and also, I don't take a lot personal. I'm not going to take it much personal. If you're disrespectful, then to me, excuse me, then I'm going to take it personal. But if you're not, then I'm, I'm cool. I'll let it roll off my back. It's, it's you know, we're, we're family. We, we're going to have to laugh and joke. I'm going to make fun of you. You're going to make fun of me. That's, that's part of the team. That's part of the locker room. And quite honestly, <coughs> excuse me, that's what you miss. You miss that. And so Freddie was just one of those guys that, you know, I think he rubbed a lot of guys the wrong way. I think a lot of guys did, you know, they were much more serious in that way than I was. And so a lot of guys didn't feel Freddie. Um, I consider Freddie a friend. You know, he had some bad stuff happen to him after he finished playing. Um, you know, I, I certainly want Freddie to get on his feet and be able to do everything that he wants in his life. Um, I'm, I'm proud of his progress to this point. I think he still has some, some ways to go. And, you know, that I say that as a friend. I say that as somebody that wants to see him be as successful as he possibly can. Same thing with Donovan. Donovan is a great individual. Donovan is the life of a party. You can't go into a room and Donovan's there and he'll, he's not in the middle of everything, um, laughing and joking and just a great time. Donovan's been a friend of mine since I was in college. I went to college and his wife, Roxy, was advisor, my advisor in college. So I've known Donovan for a very long time and I love Donovan. Um, you know, and, and again, some people don't like the feel of Donovan, right? Some some people don't want a more serious guy. That's not who he is. I accept guys for their, their good qualities. I think both are, are are good men on the inside. And I think just like with myself, you sometimes you got to get over some of the stuff that, that's not so great about people, and I'm able to do that. Yeah, and you do it very well. And you, But you know where I'm going with this because you're in the same huddle that a couple guys accused the quarterback of throwing up. Uh, you were there, uh, you know, T.O. did it, Freddie did it, Fraley did it. So you were in that huddle. What happened? Well, what did Donovan say? He's the one that it, it, uh, supposedly threw up. If, if, if he said no, then then he didn't. Then, I mean, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I again, this is 20, almost 20 years ago. If Donovan says no, then, then he didn't throw up. I, this is what I do know, that despite whether he threw up or not, he went down and threw a touchdown. Right. That's what I do know. He threw a touchdown pass to Greg Lewis. So to me, I don't even know why people would even make it up or even, uh, you know, continue to harp on it. But he went down and scored a touchdown. He had an opportunity to go score and the throwing up or the not throwing up didn't affect him. To me, I don't even know why it would be a big deal, to, to be honest with you, Mike. I, I think Donovan was ready, prepared to play. We had too many turnovers in the game. 
Um, and because of that, we lost. Um, you know, Donovan was great as you. Yeah, well, it, no, it was. It was. I'm just saying, it was a shame that some guys turned on him that way. Know, that's, and, that's, 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 that's the, the nature. It, it kind of leaves a bad. That's feeling. the nature of teams, man. Some guys, you know, they, they say things, and some guys, you know, whatever. But I, I, listen, that, that's Mike. You've been on enough teams to understand there are certain guys that are going to be out, much more outspoken, and there are going to be certain guys that are not. And that's actually the beauty and the downfall of a team, right? The beauty is that. <laughs> You know, you got guys that are going to speak up and say to themselves. The downfall is if you speak up and say the wrong thing, it could be an issue. Uh, Donovan was great in the game. We, we we turned the ball over way too many times. Last thing, Brian. Uh, you know, your, your post-football career, to me, has been really amazing and admirable. And, uh, you know, you have evolved in this business tremendously. And I know I tell you that all the time. Uh, and I can't even keep up with all the stuff you're doing. Uh, so for, for the for the people that are listening here, you got the children's book out now. I know you're all around doing appearances. I'm kind of doing the same thing with my, my children's book. But, you know, you're representing 100 companies and you're commentating on football. I mean, you're busier now than I think you ever were. So, like, talk to me about how you entered that world and what you prepared for after football and, and whether you thought it was going to be this. Well, you know, Mike, I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier. I didn't think that commentating was going to be my thing or talking about the game was going to be my thing because that's just – I always felt like players shouldn't have to talk about their game. If I watch the tape, which as a, as a commentator, as, as an analyst, I watch the tape. You don't have to tell me about your game. I can watch and see. You watch the game. You can tell me. No matter what the quarterback says, I saw what you saw, and I saw the mistakes you made or I saw the great plays you made. And so that's the way I felt as a player. Now, post-career, I'm like, hey, putting the microphone in guy's face, like, hey, tell me about your game. So it shifts. And I think that I think the commentating and talk about the game was easy for me. I loved the game. Um, I had a lot of things to learn, and, and I, almost, I honestly credit you for learning the business, learning how to Pull. One of the great things about you, Mike, is that you have the ability to pull out stuff from guys that nobody wants to say, but you just pull it out. And talk about one of the best interviewers that I've ever seen. I mean, you just do a great job of doing that. And you have a great way of making, you know, something, right? Even if a guy doesn't want to talk, you pull something out. And I just think that's the beauty of this. And so I've been able to learn so much from just being on your show, just being around, just quite honestly, just listening to you. That has been effective for my career. And so really, I've been retired for 12 years now. For the first seven or eight years, I, I was doing TV and radio, which was great for me. But I also had a mind and thought of in business. And so really over the last six or seven years, I, I've been in the VC world, venture capital world. I've been in trying to build businesses. And you know, I've, I've been able to do that. I wrote the book, the children's book, which is a hustle. I know you know, it's like you write a children's book. Now you got to go sell the book. You got to show up at schools. Like I saw you, I think today, earlier today, you, you was at a school. Yeah, today I did it. I'm going to a book fair yeah, later so tonight. You, too. It's, 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 <laughs> a, it's a complete hustle. You, you, you go out there to schools, you go to book signings, you do that, then the other, which is which is great. It's great to see the people. It's a lot of dog and work. But I'm also building businesses. One of the things that I saw at the end of my career was that it is hard for guys to transition. We go through this thing I call identity foreclosure. I was a football player. I'm known as a football player my whole career. And now I walk on the street as this 5'10 guy and I'm just a nobody. They don't see me as a football player anymore. They see me as just another dude on the street. That, that's hurtful for, for an old-time football player where guys <laughs> used to notice you. So what happens to guys, it takes them to, normally, on average, five to seven years to figure out what they want to do next. Five to seven, that's a long, that's a long time. And here's the problem with that. On average, guys have two to four years worth of savings. So even if you take the lower end, five years to figure out what you want to do, but you have four years of saving the higher end, you're still short one year. So my goal now is with my Athlete Entrepreneur Network is to bridge that gap, bring guys that are transitioning, even current guys, the ability to build a network, the ability to build an empire, to, to learn entrepreneurial skills, to learn business management. To, to That network that I'm talking about is thought leaders, business leaders, people that can help you succeed after you're done, people that are willing to teach you. And I think that if we can do that, now we have a group of athletes that can be much more successful. Instead of taking five to seven years, we're talking about athletes that only take a year, only take six months to figure out what they want to do. Or they leave the game with a bunch of business cards, a bunch of people that they've connected with, and they go immediately into what they want to do next. 
that's a thing of beauty to me. And so we're working on putting uh, putting all that together at this point. It's actually going very well. And so those are the business that I'm doing. And and, and I guess the other business that I'm doing, uh, with the, which, which is hard to do, but it's very similar. I'm the director of player engagement for the XFL. And what this is all about is the coaches handle on the field stuff. The coaches make sure these guys are the best players that they can possibly be. My job is to make sure that these guys are the best men, the best husbands, the best partners, the best business people, that they have an education, that they can find a job, that they can they can go home and not be a crisis. My job is to make sure that these guys have financial literacy, which a lot of our young men do not. That's my job to do um, with the XFL players. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of hard work, but it's rewarding. I talk to guys every single day and they're like, listen, I don't know where I would be at if I didn't have this, this part, if I didn't have that. And we're trying to bridge the gap between playing football, playing sports, into what they want to do next. And it's, it's a hard life, but at the same time, it's worth it. Yeah, I, I was going to call you Mr. Commissioner <laughs> because of, uh, you know, you're, that's what you basically you are for the, for the XFL at this point. So so I got to tell this a quick story that people don't, don't know. We talked about it uh, at the time. Uh, I wanted to have Brian experience Penn State football, Darren. And so Bill, Bill Nova comes out. So I hook it up. I get tickets to get the room the whole bit. I wanted to take Brian up. Now, Brian was disappointed at the Penn State scene. Yeah. Right, because it was a noon game, right, and the P- the Penn State people weren't exactly jacked for Villanova at noon, so the the tailgating was not as intense as so. So he left being disappointed. But well, we're we're on the field. You know, Brian got us on the sidelines, and uh, the first play of the game, they've got um, who was the wide receiver? Was uh, <laughs> the kid down in Washington? What's the kid? Uh... Yeah, I, mean, I can't I can't believe I'm blanking on his name, but he he was a, a first round draft pick. For for uh, the commanders, Darren, you know who I'm talking about. Oh, you talking about McCarran? No, no, no the guy, Penn State guy. Yeah, Jahan Dotson. So Jahan Dotson is lined up in single coverage with the Villanova cornerback, <laughs> and I look at Brian like, yo, yo, yo Holmes. You know, with Vill- if Villanova <laughs> think that that's this guy could cover, boom, first play of the game is like a 75 yard touchdown. On Mike, <laughs> Mike, the funny part about that story is this. Check this out. So it was a 75 yard touchdown. Runs right past him. That kid that was checking him, he starts for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, he does. He actually got to the league. So, so, may, so maybe they had enough faith in him to think that that could but, but that was a tough spot to put him on an island first right. play of the game. That's a beat about 20 yards. I like the fact that Mike – I like the fact that Mike, you got him tickets to go up to Beaver Stadium, and Brian gets yeah, you. Brian on the got field. me on the field. We wanted to fill another sideline. Brian was ready to like join. He, he was in the huddle, like he was there. Yeah, like he wanted. He wanted to go. Out. Come on, he wanted to go out there. Like he, he, he went back in time. He go. I want to play against this team. Right. Brian, you want to run to Tennessee here? What do you want to do? Truly, 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 the difference is bigger, stronger, and much, much faster. Wasn't even close, really. Uh, Penn State. I mean, we kind of knew that going in, but it was it was yeah, clear. That's what it was. But, you know, yeah, but they, they, they held their own in, in the second half. So I mean, that was that was that was a really a, a fun day. Listen, man, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I could talk to you about uh, a whole lot of things. I wasn't even going to bring up the fact that you're probably hurting with the Villanova basketball team this year. I'll just kind of leave that alone. Learning process. You know, Young the- coach figured things out. We getting some guys healthy. Justin Moore just came back. Cam Whitmore is a stud. He's figuring things out, young player. They they got they got some things to figure out because right now they're yeah, not you know, playing you know very well. Cam, Cam Whitmore's figuring out. This is what Cam Whitmore's figuring out. How soon can I get to the league? That's, that's what he's figuring out. <laughs> he started, he's he's counting checks already. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's doing. Listen, that's man, it's right. a pleasure to talk to you. Let's let's do it again. Let's stay in touch. We, you know, we often do. We text each other during these games, and I get a lot of insight from you. And I, I appreciate you. Come on, man. I love you. Uh, Thanks, Mike. Love you too, man. Take care. All right. It's Brian Westbrook, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissonelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.